Welcome to the ElfQuest Show, the internet's only fan-made podcast series dedicated to the long-running, award-winning, epic fantasy series ElfQuest, created by Wendy and Richard Peeney. I'm David Mizajewski, also known as Thornbreak on the ElfQuest forums. Joining me is my friend and fellow ElfQuest uber geek, Ryan Brown. Ryan's our editor and producer, working the magic to put this podcast together. Welcome back to the ElfQuest Show podcast, everyone. How's your summer going, Ryan? Really good. Yeah, it's been going great so far. How about yours? Uh, pretty good. You know, just doing some traveling, waiting, waiting, waiting for this latest issue of ElfQuest to come out. So um, we're finally here, and um, and I'm excited to talk about it. Me too. This was a great issue. Yeah, it really was. Well, I, I say we just get right into it. Um, I don't really have any news or updates in the big picture, so... Um, I thought that the art in this issue was just it like it's it gets better and better every issue and it was never bad and so I, I we probably say this every episode but um but I was just blown away by it I mean it's super super tight and detailed and um the coloring as always is just amazing so yeah well I mean I can, I think that can be chalked up to a certain extent to any artist if they're working on a project the more they're working on it the tighter the art becomes right yeah it's yeah. just like practicing like working out a muscle so right um and I I know we do say this every episode I know <laughs> I say it uh but it seems like every issue the art is just stellar and better than the issue before so yeah yeah I agree with you one of the things that I actually particularly noticed about this issue mm-hmm. that I think added for me, at least to my, my wow factor, as far as the art goes is um, even in the backgrounds where, you know, Wendy took the time in this issue to sort of hand draw everything from scratch. Um, you know, as far as like the you know, previous issues, you know, th- there are certain times where, you know, Wendy's using sort of like a, a mock-up cut and paste in Photoshop, usually like for the background characters. But like, for example, if you go to page 10 mm-hmm. um, and it's the, the that last panel there where um, Two Edge and Audrey and Clearbrook and um, uh, Tree Stump are talking and, you know, Clearbrook's just kind of there in the background. Like Wendy could have used sort of one of the sort of the, the cutout type um images of Clearbrook, right. but she didn't. She drew her, and not only did she draw her, but she drew her in this, like, awesome, amazing, loungy pose. Yes, I noticed that, too. Yeah, yeah. It's very, like, languid, and she's just sort of lounging yeah. around, like you say. Yep. And I think, you know, I mean, again, I think any time-saving tricks that, that Wendy uses in the art are totally cool, and, um, you know, especially for, again, those sort of background scenes or images or whatever but just like it, it really stood out to me in that particular panel i noticed yeah. it and i was like oh yeah this is awesome and of course every time we get sort of a new fresh new piece of wendy art it just makes me so excited so i just uh, i thought that was noteworthy about the art in this issue definitely i'd love to um hear from wendy about what her schedule is like as far as um, devoting time each day towards uh, a new issue like how long it takes her to to illustrate a full page and an entire issue, you know, like how, what, what is her daily schedule like and how much time is she devoting? You know, it's, it would be really interesting to find out, but yeah, I mean, obviously like there's, there's tricks of the trade, right? Where you, like you say, you can reuse poses or, 
um, through Photoshop, which really helps. But um, when you do see, you know, the, these, uh, she, she's obviously taken the time here, especially in this panel, like you point out, where um, each character is in sort of a uh, a unique pose that we've never seen before. And it's, right. yeah, you go, wow, that's really cool, you know? It's great. Yeah, totally, yeah. So, um, but yeah, otherwise, I mean, just... Again, I mean, the art is uh, tight is probably the best word. And again, not that it wasn't tight before, but uh, I don't know. It just I, I in particular really reacted when I when I read this issue because it it was just like glorious is probably the best word. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that is the perfect word to use for it. Yeah, everything. And it's so tight. Like you say, everything is just it's very um, you can you can tell how much time has been taken with every single panel. Another. Um, Another page or another panel that really stood out to me was on, um, let's see, it's on page nine. It's the, the last panel with uh, Shuna and Shen Shen and Kimo. And it's the, it's the sky and the clouds in the background that yeah. really kind of stood out to me. It's so um, almost like, um, what's his name? Maxfield Parrish, okay. the artist I don't who know does. Him. I'll have to look, um, him look, look him up. It just, it, it really stood out because so much of, Elf quest and the final quest in particular is either happening at night because the yeah. wolf riders are, are nocturnal mm -hmm. um, in the throes of some, you know, sort of battle or drama, like the whole first part um, with the, you know, embers battle where the colors were very sort of, you know, red and very and, dramatic and, and very dramatic um, or they're in the palace, which is this sort of glowy ethereal thing. And yeah. so getting to see sort of a sunny blue summer sky was just sort of a little artistic, very bucolic, very uh, yeah. pastoral. You know, when I saw this, you're going to laugh, but for some reason, I thought Little House on the Prairie. <laughs> I don't know why. It's just like there. No, that's exactly it. That's pioneer, exactly it. There's a pioneer spirit that Shuna and Shen Shen and Kimo all seem to share. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, obviously, Little House on the Prairie, they weren't, uh, you know, traveling with a shapeshift elf or anything. Right. Um, or were they? <laughs> yeah. What's his name? Michael Landon. He was actually. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's what popped into my head when I saw this. But I, I totally get what you're saying. It's that the, the, the atmosphere is very different from what we've seen so far yeah. um, in the, the different environments that have been depicted. Um, all right, well, let's talk about the story. Um, uh, you know, the episode or the issue kicks off with Cutter kind of just sort of reflecting on all of the, I guess, changes in in how big the world of the Wolf Riders have ha has become, and and also kind of like their worldview. I guess it's it's just interesting to see that kind of like thinking and introspection on Cutter's part, and I guess mostly from the point of view of. Like Cutter from the time when he started the original quest yes. would not have been able to have this sort of thought process in his brain. No. And it's just so reflective to me of how much has changed and how big, again, the world and the worldview of the characters has become. Um, and it really kind of underscores the whole idea of, to me, like the final quest. Like we're finally coming to the culmination of this this particular characters you know journey and hero's journey or whatever you want to call it mm -hmm. and um it just you know just this one little sort of effect of him kind of thinking about this sort of in the background of this first page i thought was really uh powerful yes it seems like his uh his thought process has become a lot more sophisticated and nuanced over the course of the series um whereas bef originally when we started out uh you know it was just about mere survival 
Right. Um, whereas now he's dealing with these very um, complicated issues, and uh, it, it's more than just you know eat and survive. It's right. there, there's uh, a whole set of new circumstances that have been thrust upon Cutter throughout his uh, chieftainship, and right. you know he's now having to deal with that, uh, and it's all coming to fruition. And not only is it just his character arc that's coming to fruition it's a 20,000 year mm -hmm. history of an entire species that's sort of uh you know we're, we're coming to the the crux of something definitely right. yeah yeah um and then we get to see on that same page Shukapak and his family and yeah. of course like they're the, the little kids are adorable especially the little one clinging to his uh, Shukapak's wife mm -hmm. whose name is Hartha yeah Hartha yeah Hartha um and there's something about Hartha that I love. I don't know why. She's got like, you know, one line. It's the first time we've ever met her. But there's just something that I love about her. Like, yeah, I can't put my finger on it Other, otherwise. I mean, I, maybe it's because she's wearing pants and not a dress. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I guess I was wrong, though, with my um, my prediction that something romantic might happen between Shukapek and Shen Shen. I don't think that that's going to be the case now. Well, you never know. I mean, again, if anybody is going to, you know, get into it, it would probably be Shenzhen. But something tells me that um, that Shukapek probably is more interested in Hartha than Shenzhen. So especially, well, I mean, that actually gets to the, one of the points here is that, you know, even though the humans that live with the elves know that they're flesh and blood and everything, they still can't break themselves of this sort of even at a very low level, this sort of worshipful attitude towards them. And, you know, Shen Shen kind of giggles about it. She's like, call me Shen Shen. That's my name. I'm not, you know, this sort of honored one or whatever. And then in the next sentence, the next line, Hartha calls her honored one. So yeah, exactly. Kind of like, they they're, like, they're like, okay. Yeah. And just ignore it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it, it will be interesting to see what becomes of Shukapek because uh, he did make the decision in the um, special um, that he wasn't going to be uh, shape-changed or, or have his aging process halted by Lita. Um, and he looks like he's in his 40s now. Um, so I, I wonder what's going to become of that. Uh, you know, if Shuna's still alive and she's, she watches her, her son and her grandchildren age and, and die, you know, that will be uh, sort of an interesting aspect to that, that relationship. Um, but yeah, I, I really like the the dynamic that um, that Shen Shen has with this family. Uh, she's obviously taken on the role of of caregiver, and uh, which is what she wanted to do, which is shine where she loves, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I, I'm really actually this entire arc of Shuna and Shen Shen and Kimo uh, amongst the humans is really uh, interesting to me, and I I'm looking forward to seeing more of that. Something we've never really seen before. So totally, yeah, and um, and also I think it's a great opportunity to sort of highlight the idea that you know not every elf is going to respond to the call of the palace, um, and not all of them are going to you know reunite in some you know happy ending where the bow gets tied and everybody flies off and you know and, and everybody's together kumbaya, you know, because mm. like, you know I mean I think at the end of shards when the palace first sort of reached out to, you know, all of the elves that were out there, um, you know, I think 
some of us as readers were like, well, what about all the other elves? How come they didn't find them? And, and I think that idea is really getting explored here now in Final Quest that, you know, probably back in at that time in Shards, they were, were really only reaching out to the elves that they knew. So like the tribes that they knew, why they didn't discover the wave dancers then when that happened. Um, mm-hmm. But also that, um, you know, they probably didn't have the power to reach out to all the tribes in the way that they do now through Sunstream. And, yeah, exactly. Um, they didn't have the power. They, d- right. they do now, right? And uh, I'm glad to see that we get an actual name now. It's it's classified or categorized as the call because I was right. never really quite sure what to call it. Right. As uh, you know, we I think you might have noticed in the last couple of episodes, but it, was it like the the giant send or right? You know, yeah. But now yeah. it, it it's the call. The call, yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, one other thing that um, I just noticed as I'm looking at this front page, mm-hmm. and I, I, I don't know if it's if I'm misperceiving it or um, or if it, or if it was sort of a conscious thing, but I'm looking at Shen Shen in her human form, mm-hmm. and one thing that I that really just stood out to me that I didn't notice the first 15 times that I read the issue um, is um, and it, bear with me because you know it it might sound a little bit funny for me to say this, but um, her, she has a much smaller chest than she does in her elven form. Mm, yeah. Um, you know, Shen Shen was always very buxom and, yeah. you know, big chested or whatever. And, um, and interestingly, she's not in her human form. And I wonder if that was a delib- something deliberate on Wendy's part when she designed the character. And, you know, I think of, um, just the fact that, you know, what, one of the things that's so amazing about ElfQuest is that all the characters are different, particularly the female characters, right? They all don't have the same body type or whatever. Um, and especially in comics where, like, you know, big boobs are the norm. It's kind of nice where when you get characters that have this sort of body diversity. And so it, it just literally just struck me as I was looking at the page here that um, she's almost waif-like in some of these panels. Um, but anyway, I just noticed it. So um, it'll be interesting to see if, there was any reason behind it glad that we're finally back into seeing uh this group again finally we're seeing more of shuna and kimo and shukapak and his family and and now shen shen's being involved uh in her own way um you know sort of fulfilling her own destiny uh so it's, it's really interesting well you know this whole whole issue kind of um weaves and, and visits with the different groups of elves and kind of comes back to them um, and so it's interesting because, you know, that you say that, you know, we're getting to see Shuna again and Shukapak and now Shen Shen with them. Um, because I, I, I sort of feel like this issue in particular, you know, this, this it ha- time progresses again in this issue. And yes. if I recall correctly, um, I believe it's about supposed to be about 10 years. It was in the previews. Yeah. Um, where it said a 10 year jump. Yes. And I know I'm pretty sure it was Wendy that m- made a, a comment on, I think it was Facebook that, you know, this is the last time jump that we're going to get. And from mm-hmm. here on out, things are sort of going to be happening in real time. Right. And so I, I kind of had that in my head as I was reading this issue. And, you know, the fact that we've got, you know, we, we're, we're now, we're now like seeing Shen Shen and Shuna and Shukapek in their element doing their thing. Yes. Um, and then similarly, like with the rest of the groups, I feel like they all sort of got into place. And what, we're obviously going to talk all, all about this, but, you know, Rayek and Ekwar make their reappearance and they settle down by the end of this issue in a particular spot. Well, let's let's talk about them right now. Okay. You brought them up. So yeah. Rayek and Ekwar uh, reappear at the palace as they were 
making their way to it last issue, right? So the palace has now arrived at Blue Mountain, and uh, Rayek and Ekwar show up. Um, I think it's Venka senses them. Uh, she senses Winnowill. Winnowill, yeah. Right, right. Which is really interesting, right? Because uh, she she can actually sense Winnowill's presence uh, within Rayek. Um, I guess having grown up her entire life uh, protecting the Wolf Riders through the use of her uh, magic, um, protecting them from Winnowill, she's connected to Winnowill now. Yeah, uh, or at least sensitive to her presence to right. the point where, you know, she could detect it. So exactly, um, yeah, she's like a, a smoke detector. <laughs> the elves. Um, <laughs> Uh, so anyways, Rayek shows up and, uh, he wants to be healed essentially, or, or to have Winnowill's spirit healed, um, to be free of her. Uh, but something really interesting happens throughout. Well, the, uh, yeah, before we talk about what happens, yeah, which is pretty huge. I mean, that's mm-hmm. been a question I think that has been raised a lot by fans. Like, well, why don't, you know, why doesn't Rayek just go to the palace and have all of the help of everybody be healed like why does he have to keep her in there and we finally in in what ends up unfolding in this issue mm-hmm. it, it's kind of explained exactly it's, it's not what i was expecting at all but but yet it's totally in character well so he he arrives at the palace and uh, asks for help um and uh the sun villagers along with Tamane uh and sava uh, attempt to draw out Winnow's spirit, or not necessarily draw it out, but they they encourage Rayek to release her spirit in order that they can heal her within the palace. Uh, I think specifically, Tamane says, yeah, on on page six six, she says, "Give her spirit over to us, and in time, she will be cleansed, renewed." Uh, I take that to mean that they'd be able to contain her spirit now, right? Because right. of the power that they possess, and within the palace. Winnowill would eventually find healing. I don't even know that it means that they would force healing upon her. I don't think that's what would happen. I think right. it would be that within the palace, Winnowill's spirit could be contained, and over time, the palace's influence upon her would allow Winnowill to find her own healing. That's exactly how I how I took it too. That you know, unlike Rayek who, you know, is sort of forcing his will on her that they would, you know, yes, they would contain her for their own safety, but that again, it, like you said in time that just the influence and, and the positivity and all that would, would, you know, hopefully renew and cleanse her or whatever. But the, yeah, but, but the, the most crazy thing that we learn mm-hmm. is that it's not like, well, number one, it is possible, right? Cause that's been the big question. Right. Like, is this possible? Does she have to stay inside of, you know, in, trapped inside Rayek? And the answer is no. But it turns out that it's Rayek who is choosing not to let her go mm-hmm. and let her be healed because he wants to do it on his own terms. Exactly. Such a Rayek thing to do. And, you know, I couldn't help. So far, it, the little bits that we've seen of Rayek in the final quest have been, you know, for me, a, a mix of, of I don't know, empathy and a little bit of pity for him. Mm-hmm. But at this, like in equal parts, sort of like my the the I don't know, the frustration of of his arrogance and his um, sort of ability to just completely disregard what other people want. Right. And so, I mean, in fact, so much so that I ended up feeling bad for Winnowill in this issue. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, she that, wants to be let, she wants to be freed. 
Uh, she even says, let me go. She sends to him and they can all sense it uh, to the right. point where they're sickened by the, this um, battle right. of wills between them. They can feel it, I guess, reverberating throughout the palace. Uh, she wants to be free of him. She doesn't want to be a prisoner anymore, but he will not allow her to go. It, like you said, it has to be on his own terms because he's right. a prideful bastard. Um, <laughs> you know, and he wants her to love him of her own accord. Uh, her choice, but he wants it on his terms, and that means not allowing her her freedom. And, and so she's still his prisoner. But what's interesting, though, to me is that he wasn't even aware that that's what he wanted. So it's almost on a, a subconscious level that he can't right. let her go because he does attempt to allow her to leave. Right when he's within the. I don't book. think. I, no, I don't think he allows her to leave. I think he. I think he allows them to try to heal her while she's still trapped. Okay, is that that's what it is. All right. And they yep. can't break through because he has such a tight grip on her. Right. And Correct. that's what Tim Aiden is saying. It's yeah. like it's you. You're the one. You're preventing the healing. Yes. And I think that what I think kind of what you're getting at is that he was completely unaware that he was impeding that. Because I mean, remember the last the last time we saw him, he basically was was being haughty Raic and mm -hmm. saying, Well, if they don't even try to heal her, then I'm not staying. Right. And so he clearly wants her to be healed. But again, only on his own terms. If it means that he has to set her free and he's not in control of the situation anymore, he he refuses to do it. And so it's like, again, like I love Rayek. I really actually genuinely like Rayek. I think, you know, he's a really fascinating character. I think he you know adds so much sort of depth and motivation to the story. But I just want to shake him sometimes. It's like, dude, yeah. get with the program. Oh, absolutely. I mean, to me, he is the most fascinating character. In ElfQuest, that's my personal opinion, but um, because he he's so uh, there's so many sides to him, right? And there's so many uh, different aspects of his personality at play at all times. Oh, and the only other thing to say about it um, for me is that it, it's amazing how over the course of 37 years at this point, and and so many different stories, how Wendy and Richard can continue to write a character and have it be despite all those changes and things that have happened to them and have it be so completely 150% completely in character the way that they behave yeah. i mean that's what i that's really what i felt when i was reading this i was like yep it's rake and it's not like a one note thing it's not no. like rake does the same thing every time it's like what he's doing is completely in character for him and it's it's been consistent the whole time, but it's always something fresh and new at the same time. Mm -hmm. So I yeah, just you know, yeah, add it to the list of things that are amazing. Exactly, it's consistent within the characterization that's been established so far for this character, right? But it's exactly. it's a new uh, scenario or it's a new set of circumstances. But the way he reacts to those circumstances, it's always consistent with his characterization. So, yeah, I, I mean, that's really that's good writing. Exactly. Yeah. So um, the other thing about this this reappearance of Ray mm -hmm. is we discover that his parents are still alive. I Inga know. Jara. Big surprise there. was not expecting that whatsoever. Yeah. I, I had assumed that they were dead. Yeah. You know, I I never assumed that they were dead. I mean, they. You know, most of the Sun Villagers are nameless in the background, right? Yeah. And so, um, but, it, you know, what really got me thinking was when we learned that Saren is still alive somewhere in the yeah, palace. Right. And that, to me, just sort of got me to sort of perceive things in this way. And that is, unless, 
you know, we are specifically told or have seen a particular sun villager die. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's probably a safe bet to assume that they're still alive in the well, palace. Now it is, yes. But uh, prior to seeing them, um, and even for what, when we found out Saren was still alive, I had no expectation whatsoever that these two were. Just because I would have thought that throughout the course of the the series, we would have seen them at some point but i guess you know rayek rejected them so there mm-hmm. was no real reason really to see them now right. th- it's really interesting in this scene because what would normally be a really humble moment for someone um i don't know if rayek has the humility to sort of recognize the fact that these two people that he rejected his parents um because of you know his own um quest for power and his his pride um and his sort of uh he looked down on the rest of the sun villagers for so mm-hmm. long including his own parents right. but now the roles are sort of reversed in a way he is the one who is weak to some extent because of the circumstances that he's now in um where he is barred from the palace or he had been for 40 some odd years um, containing Winnowill's spirit, which was obviously very draining on him. Um, and he comes to the palace now and he finds these people that he rejected and they are essentially becoming high ones, which right. was what he wanted. Mm-hmm. Right. And so the, the tables have been turned and this is a very humbling moment. Um, and he, I think he recognizes that to some extent, but I don't expect that to stick in any sort of significant way for Rayek. Well, it obviously didn't because in like the next page, he's back to his old arrogant ways, you know, so but it was really it was really great to see. And again, this is sort of an example of the richness of of how these characters are written, Mm -hmm. you know, to see Rayek have that moment of of humility and realize like what a fool I was, you know, for 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 looking down on on my people and my parents Mm -hmm. because of what they were then. And now like now look at them. And look at me. And so yet, of course, he doesn't articulate it. He doesn't say it to them. No, I don't think he could even admit that to himself, really. Yeah, it's it's just a a really interesting moment. And I'm sure, you know, it lasted for maybe 10 seconds for him where he he sort of had that twinge where he's, you know, like thinking, okay, the tables are turned, but then he's back to his old self. Um, I wonder, too, what Venka's relationship is with them. I mean, she knows that these are her grandparents now. So that's sort of a, a, a... interesting aspect right well i'm sure i'm i'm sure she probably already knew that yeah um you know but at least i'm she maybe she didn't know it until she arrived at the palace you know a few days ago or whenever however long she's been there now she does so yeah now she does and and oh the other thing that's really cool about this scene is that you really i think for the first time really can tell how the sun villagers are beginning to kind of shape change and grow into a more high one like stature um, I mean, you can even see Ingen and Jara standing um, next to to Venka and Rayek, and you could see they're, they're half a head taller. And then in that scene, in the sort of that wide shot where Rayek is kneeling before Timane on um, page, I guess what page ten, and and the Sun Villagers gathered around, you can really see how sort of sort of tall and elegant they're becoming. So um, it's kind of neat. Yeah, it's it's uh, still having that effect on them. They're definitely changing physically. They look like they're almost at the same stature of Sunstream now. Uh, I wonder, too, if um, Sunstream's being affected by this as well. He's sort of 
about a head shorter than Tamain and Sava, but I, I'm wondering if eventually he'll be at the same height as they are. Yeah, well, it's kind of like he got a jump start on the the, the effect of the palace when he yes. was in meditation in the in the preserver cocoons. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he for whatever reason because of his magical proclivities, you know, was affected a lot more soon or a lot more quickly than the rest of them were. But right. it seems like they've all pretty much caught up because again, in that scene, I mean, they all look pretty much as tall as he is. They do. Um, yeah. You know, at, at the the you know the immortal sun villagers that are in living in the palace mm-hmm. um, Venka and Rayek, no because they haven't been but um I love too that um we see one of my all-time favorite elves make yet another appearance um Minya the basket hat wearing where is she I didn't see her gardener. oh there she is she's yeah, yeah. <laughs> I see her in the crowd there I, I didn't notice her before I love that she's still wearing her basket hat and yeah, um <laughs> yeah she's never giving that up yeah I wouldn't either. <laughs> Look at how detailed all of them are, though. Each individual oh, I know. Yeah. is detailed, mm-hmm. and they're an individual unto themselves. There's nobody mm-hmm. who looks like anybody else. Completely. Yeah. And yet they and, all share similarities, right? Because they're all they're all elves. Right. Yeah. And they're all Sun Villager elves, you know. Exactly. And, um, I think you noted that in a previous episode, too, with regard to the go-backs. Um, you know, how Wendy is really kind of putting in that extra effort to you know, to kind of draw them and, and make them unique individuals and you mm-hmm. can kind of pick them out. I mean, in this, in this sun villager scene, I mean, yeah, there's Ingen and Jara, um, there's Minya, you can see, um, Malene standing back there, um, between oh, yeah. Saba and Timain. Yep. Um, I'm trying to see if I recognize anybody else, but like when, you know, most of these sun villagers are not named, but like those that are, mm-hmm. you can always tell who they are, um, you know, partly because of what they're wearing, but also, you know, some of them you can just tell by their their facial features and things like that. Uh, right. Malene is a good example of that. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, just again, awesome art and awesome detail, and we love it all. Yeah, very, very good. Um, so the the one question I do have about this whole situation with Rayek and Winnowill is: Does Winnowill know that uh, if she's released from Rayek, if she gets her freedom, that she would be? contained within the palace and would eventually be cleansed or healed or what have you. Is she aware of that? And if so, why would she want to have that happen? Uh, because I, as far as we know up to this point, Winnowill is definitely not interested in being healed. If she's freed, then then this would occur. I don't think she's aware. I mean, you know, she she's clearly sleeping within Rayek and you know, even when they enter the palace, it's not really until they attempt this healing process that, you know, she wakes up. So I don't think she's aware of what they're even talking about. So in that moment, she is writhing in agony because they're trying to sort of change her and she doesn't want it. And she wakes up and is like, let me out. And, you know, gets into this psychic battle with, with Rayek. Mm -hmm. I don't think she has any clue that if she were to get out, that she would just be sort of recaptured, but by the palace, not by Rayek himself. Okay. Um, and again, that to me is just another indicator of how, you know, how desperate she is, which is not something that Winnow will, you see it very often. You know, I mean, no. she normally is the mistress of all control, right? Yes. And yes. so when you, when you see her at a moment where she's basically just flailing around desperately trying to escape something, it, again, it makes you, it, it, it's humbling for her, mm-hmm. you know, for, for her to the reader 
Um, and again, I feel bad for her. I mean, yeah, she's a nasty old thing and she wants to do a lot of bad stuff, but no one deserves to be have their soul kept prisoner. Um, right. Held against their will for right. you know, all time. Yeah. Um, which is essentially what we're looking at here. If Right. Well, and, and and I thought that this was a brilliant way of dealing with that very fact that we know from the Rogue's Curse storyline. Yes. That you know, that Rayek isn't going to let her go and she's not going to be healed. And, you know, they are going to stay behind when everybody else leaves. So, right. um, So this is, is, is explains that in such a believable way Mm -hmm. that it kind of, you know, we finally got an answer to that. Yeah. Now I wonder, I mean, we, we do know, like you say that by Rogue's curse, she's still trapped within Rayek. Um, If we're ever going to get any sort of closure on the two of them, I hope so at some point in the future that we will get maybe a final story about Rayek and Winnowill and what becomes of them. Because, you know, the, the two of them obviously are suffering. And though I don't really care that much that Winnowill is, given you know her history, <laughs> uh, like you said, I, I can feel pity for her. And if there's the opportunity for her to be healed and to be cleansed, then I hope at some point, you know, she does she does get that chance. Yeah, I mean, I think we all want that, you know, I mean, and and I know that we're not going to get all sort of happy endings for everybody. No, Um, but it it would be exceptionally awful and cruel for both Rayek and Winnowill if that really was, you know, sort of where their story ended. So we'll see. I mean, Mm -hmm. let's let's get through the final quest. Yeah. And then we'll see what happens. (laughs) Then we'll jump to the the series after that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We've got Ekwar here, too. So um, it's always great to see Ekwar. Yeah. You know, and Rayek tells him to stay in the palace. But of course, to no one's surprise, Ekwar follows Rayek back out um, Mm -hmm. into uh, where Moonshade suggests they go, which is the Forbidden Grove. Um, And uh, she, uh, she, what does she say specifically? If it still stands in this free of humans, Rayek, you and Rayek could live there. Um, And then um, Ekwar says that he'll shape a a shelter for them. So that's great because it means that they're still going to be included in the story going forward. Exactly. They're just going to be... A little bit, bit of a ways away in the in the Forbidden Grove. In- right, but they're what? They're like half a night's ride on Wolfback away, right? Exactly. So, you know, yeah. it's not, um, or maybe you know, a day or two. I, I can't remember exactly how far it is, but, um, but yeah. And so that's what I was saying before about you know they sort of have been brought back into the story. We've kind of caught up and answered some questions that were still lingering out there, mm-hmm. and now they're sort of in position for like this next story arc that's going to take place within final quest right and and we know from that preview that came out several years ago uh the the animated one or it was on youtube uh there there was a scene in there where rayek was fighting oh right and and Mm -hmm. venka was bleeding right and ekwar was holding her so if that does make it into this into the final quest then obviously that's going to be a plot point that will come up and include those characters at some point in the future for sure. Yeah. And again, like we've we've gathered in the Sunfolk. They're sort of accounted for. The go-backs have been brought back into the main storyline. Um, we have Rayek and Ekwar here. Mm-hmm. And um, Speaking of you know, go-backs, we've got uh, yes. on page two, we've got Murph, who is right. uh, that blonde go-back who we've seen exactly. quite a bit. Exactly. Yeah. He's sort of like the representative of the go-backs to some extent right now. Um, right. You know, and also 
there's uh, this this female go back in that panel as well yep. with Moonshade. And you uh, mentioned her. It might have been on Facebook. Uh, her Romanesque. Romanesque. <laughs> yeah, her Romanesque nose that she yeah. has. Yeah, so she's making an appearance too. But yes, we finally got Murph's name. Yeah, and I wonder, I wonder, you know, we've seen him a lot in the background. He's had a couple lines. I wonder, you know, now we're getting his name. I wonder if, um, you know, if there's something more there, if yeah. he'll be, get more of a, you know, a, 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 some FaceTime. And that would be kind of nice because even though the Gobacks as a tribe are in a much more prominent place in the story than they've been in a really long time, um, we don't really have any sort of representatives of of like classic Gobacks, right? Um, yeah. And so it would be kind of nice if we got to see, you know, especially with Krim being gone, exactly. um, you know, we don't really have any sort of front level characters representing the go back kind of mentality and, and everything. So hopefully, you know, hopefully we'll see. And, you know, speaking of which too, the other thing that um, this issue and the last couple issues actually, I thought have been, have been great about them is the fact that the, like, again, the go backs have been reincorporated into, into ElfQuest, into the, into the main story narrative Mm -hmm. and not as the, you know, not solely anyway, as the, Kind of like the low tribe, if you will. Um, right. You know, the not so bright, troll eating, cannon you know, fodder, cannon fodder type. You know, yeah. they're they're definitely. I mean, obviously, they're they have that aspect about them, and that's just who they are, and it's their nature, and that's great. But like, I feel like we're seeing them a little bit more positively than we've seen them really since the days of the original quest mm-hmm. from the original from the first war for the palace. So it's, yeah. it's just, it's nice. And I, I just wanted to note that. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and I mentioned this a couple episodes ago, but it will be interesting to see how much of an effect the palace has on the go back tribe and, yeah. you know, how, whether they, as a go back tribe survive as a go back tribe, or if they become something else, if they become full time palace dwellers, we'll have to see, but, uh, no, but I, I, uh, I, wholeheartedly agree with you it's really great to see them sort of come back into the fold and play more of a a major role within the storyline and um you know be more three-dimensional as as characters and we're seeing you know some at least one individual go back who's sort of stepping to the fore a little Mm -hmm. bit which is great so but speaking of that this is something that i didn't even um wasn't really on my radar to to talk about tonight but since you said it 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 triggered the memory that the first time that i read it this stood out to me one of the other major things that happens is another sort of character player um coming back into the fold and and being brought into the story right yeah and that of course is egg aka auric the the glider the rock shaper um, and before we talk about him in the, yeah. that panel, when he first comes into the palace and Moonshade, you know, recognizes him and says, are you, are you, are you egg the, read that caption? It says, as the curious go backs and palace dwellers gather around Moonshade, gather around Moonshade studies the time worn face. Mm-hmm. Notice that they're not called the sun folk. Yeah. So, mm. you know, cause they really aren't the sun folk anymore. No, they're not. They really have in these, in this last, you know, half century since they've been living in the palace have really become something different. And so, you know, I would, I would, I would wager that given enough time, you know, sort of the go backs will also, you know, their culture and their sort of, I don't know, their personalities will, will sort of 
uh, evolve and adapt. And they certainly will probably not be like the former Sun Villagers. Mm-hmm. They'll still retain like a certain, you know, I, I don't know, maybe just think like I think the elves will all, always sort of retain an element of their multiculturalism that evolved on the world of two moons. But it, the differences will probably be a lot less pronounced. And it just kind of makes me think of like being in a major city, you know, where you have lots of different ethnicities and cultures and pe- and different, you know, sort of national origins of of the people that are around you all the time. And, mm-hmm. and I, I kind of see that happening um, and again, maybe given another 10,000 years, they'll all sort of be back in totally homogenous, high one form, you know, first comer form. But um, I don't see that happening, at least not within the framework of the final quest. Yeah, it's it's an interesting sort of um, issue, I guess, you know, because like we love these distinct cultures that the elves have. But their whole intent, I mean, even the go-backs are called the go-backs because their their purpose as a tribe is to go back to the palace. Right. That's what they that's what their whole what they want their to reason do. For that's being, what, yeah. their reason, right? And yet they have this really interesting culture that's very distinct from all the other ones. Um so like you said, you know, like it's it's possible that they will retain some aspects of that, but it will be uh, less pronounced than it is now or it, it might be that they all become homogenous and and sort of revert back to what the the high ones or even the coneheads were um, mm-hmm. i mean it, it feels like the story is sort of setting them on this trajectory where they're headed back to the star home their their original planet that their ancestors came from so once they get there who are they going to be you know well right. will they will they even be elves anymore right you know, well, well, that gets so. to that gets to Shuna's comment, which I love, um, and I can't remember where it was originally. Um, or, you know, it was who, in um, it was in uh, Searcher and the Sword. No, in All But Blood with um, the Suntop story. Oh right, yeah, she yeah. Sang the song, right? Where she says, um, uh. Did they come Let's, because we yeah believe? the hidden ones uh, did the good spirits come because we believe or do we believe because they came yes and so yeah I mean it's like if the elves leave the world of two moons where they basically were you know chose to be elves mm-hmm. are they still elves if they're not there in the place that called them that gave them that identity right fascinating thing to it's think really, about uh, it's sort of the riddle of elf quest and I don't think it's ever meant to be solved really it's yeah I don't either. Like, it's it's a it's sort of a a riddle that you know we can ponder on, but I don't think we'll ever get a an answer to that one. Right. Um, but just getting back to Orek Egg, so let's talk about him for a bit. So yeah, he was living in the bowels of Blue Mountain for ten thousand years. He survived down there. Is that do I have that correct? Well, yeah. I mean, I think. Well, okay. So so we did see him. Right. In the Kavi miniseries. Yeah. Which, but let's talk about that. Yeah. Which may or may not, you know, be completely canonical, factual or whatever. Um, I have a feeling that we're never going to get a black and white answer on that just based on the fact that over the many years since that story was published in many different stories, we have gotten sort of nods to some of those events, you know, like yep. a suggestion that maybe Kavi is part Wolf Rider. Um, you know, we have Nightfall's dream and. Uh, you know, but 
then she's like, was it really a dream yeah. that I saw her maybe, or what did it really happen that I saw her or, or was it a dream? Right. So yeah. I just, I, I feel like Wendy and Richard are deliberately leaving that vague. And so okay. when I see Auric and you know, he, he's got a little bit of a different character design and which I think, you know, it's not that different than what the way that we saw him in, in Kavi, his hair is a little bit shorter. His clothes are a little bit more tattered, right. but that mm-hmm. story happened, you know, again, it could have happened thousands of years ago. So, um, so at any rate, yeah, I mean, I don't, has he been sitting in that little room below there for 10,000 years? I don't know. Maybe he's gone off on adventures or whatever, but we know that at this point in the story, he is definitely back at blue mountain. Um, he may or may not ever have left and he is taking up the mantle that we see him having way down the line in the future quest storylines as the protector of, well, the the guards keeper, I guess, of the of the of the tainted magic that resides within the ruins of Blue Mountain. Right. And that's uh, for the purposes of Final Quest. I think that's all we really need to know is that he's down there. He is, you know, kind of scraping by. He's wearing, you know, tattered clothing, you know, probably just raw animal skins. He's eating, you know, grubs and lichens and, you know, is living the solitary life and meditating and everything. And yeah, and he. And his his entrance in back into the story was just awesome. Mm-hmm. The way that you know Sunstream says, you know they're 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 starting to come now that we're here and we're you know kind of sitting on top of Blue Mountain and and someone's coming right now. He's getting very close, and we see this for, sort of four panel progression, literally of the, the the crushed ruins of Blue Mountain that are sort of still shaped and undulated like when they crash down and you you don't see who it is until you turn the page you know you just see this sort of fur down there and you see these legs as they're sort of going up up into the, through the floor of the palace and yeah. then he makes his grand entrance and it's right. it's just awesome yeah it it really is yeah i mean the, the characterization is slightly different we don't we haven't had too much of uh, an introduction to him yet to really sort of determine exactly what he's like but it certainly seems uh different from the Kavi miniseries where you know he he came off as uh quite a bit different yeah yeah i mean he he in in that story he came off as um haughty might be the right word like mm-hmm. just a little bit more like uh confident Much more and confident. yeah yeah like here so, he's, but, he's terrified by the presence of Winnowill spirit within Rayek. Uh, he's right. shaking. He's literally shaking. And yeah. Ekwar has to sort of calm him down a bit. I, I really like the moment those two had, though, because they're both rock shapers. And uh-huh. Ekwar sort of makes a joke about, you know, like we, we I'm sure I could teach you a thing or two and vice yep. versa. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So it, that'll be neat to see if they sort of, uh, you know, have some sort of friendship. Yep. Um, and, and Saba as well, sort of, uh, you know, she says to him, when you're ready, will touch hands and that will be an interesting relationship to see too. Um, it's sort of, it's interesting too, to see a, a male um, who's sort of at the same level as Sava and mm-hmm. even closer to Tamin because we have all these very powerful um, female figures mm-hmm. um, who sort of, uh, while not necessarily being high ones uh, apart from Tamin are either first comers or first born or not first comers, they're first born. Um, but Sava's not firstborn, though, is she? She's like... Well, she's pretty close to it. She's close. Again, and, for all yeah, intents and purposes, very, maybe a generation or two in. Right. Very, very ancient elves. And we have these these females. And so now uh, Egg, or Orak, is uh, sort of a male who is along the same, um, you know, at the same level 
Right. At least in like age and stature yeah. and magical ability and everything. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, you could argue that Equar is as well, just that he, you know, was so mistreated as a youth that he never really kind of grew to the size that he otherwise would have. Hmm. Um, but, but to your point, I think that Oryx, um, like not just his physical stature, but again, his magical ability. And I think probably his personality is going to be more just, you know, again, sort of that ethereal type personality versus Equar's like super salt of the earth kind of right. personality. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, t- to fit into what you're saying, I think, I think, I, 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 I think he does in that sense, Yeah. but we'll see. I mean, who knows, who knows what will happen to him when, um, you know, yeah. as time goes on, but again, another, another character that, you know, the, the, the piece has been moved, you know, the chessboard piece has been moved, you know, Oric is in, is in the palace and now what? Exactly. I, I do have to say, I really enjoyed in Kavi, his character, uh, the way he was written and portrayed. Um, so, I mean, I'll have to see what what we get from this version, I guess, mm-hmm. this interpretation of who Egg is and whether or not there is any connection, whether or not that happened or not, the, Ka- the Kavi miniseries with, with Orek. Um, but yeah, I, I did. I did actually really like that portrayal of him, and he had the little snake and everything. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He had his, now, his hut. It was. He was kind of cool. He's like a very mystical, um, while still being very, like you say, confident and and sort of uh, haughty. And um, yeah. So we'll we'll have to see. Yeah, I I I I enjoyed that too. But at the same time, I kind of felt, you know, and I think this is one of the things that happened to varying degrees, you know, with other other writers and other artists, where mm-hmm. in it, sometimes the characters either acted or looked in a way that became a little bit more, for lack of a better way of saying it, kind of generic fantasy. Yeah. And Oryx's character, why I totally enjoyed him for all those reasons you said. I, he also kind of felt fell into sort of like, you know, the 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 wise, powerful wizard mentor type. Sure. Um, yeah. In a way that took it, a, you know, just sort of a couple steps towards the border of what is ElfQuest and then right. what is just sort of generic fantasy. Maybe a little bit to Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, just a yeah. little bit, just yeah. a little bit. But yeah. you know, I, I, again, with that said, I actually really did enjoy his character and then. But but I'm I'm equally excited to see this new kind of iteration of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and and again, I think the beauty of the, all of this is that it, you can kind of imagine uh, again, however many five thousand years ago, maybe that's when that he, that's how he was in the Kavi miniseries. But you know, he's been meditating for the last you know several millennia and and who knows like that could have changed his personality definitely yeah i'm intrigued so we'll we'll see uh where the storyline takes him and who he is exactly yeah um hopefully moonshade will help him get some better clothes (laughs) i hope so (laughs) his hair (laughs) needs a good scrubbing and um (laughs) is she still doing that is moonshade still making clothes i don't know if she's given that up completely yet i don't know i mean i would imagine well okay this you know skipping further ahead in the issue um, when she returns to the Holt, she's wearing a completely new outfit, which is a great blend of her sort of forest leathers and with just a few little, you know, frilly details of her her palace flowing 
preserver silk clothes. And yeah. so I, I have to guess that she hasn't totally given up being a maker and creating clothing. And I mean, somebody has got to be creating the clothing that the sun villagers are wearing, you know, maybe on Shen is still bopping around in the palace too. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, silently laughing to himself that, you know, I told you so, because look at you now, moonshade and your, you know, frilly purple yeah. dress that I wanted you to wear yeah. all those thousands of years ago. But at any rate, you know, I, w- I would guess that she still is is doing that. Um, well, that's but, that's assuming that the palace hasn't reached the point of being a full replicator yet. Like on Star Trek, I'm sure that's you know something that eventually they'll be able to do. Uh, I, didn't the the high ones uh, when they were flying through space weren't they able to make anything they needed from from what they could draw in through the palace from outside of it? I, I mean, it's never it's never been clearly stated one way or the other, although there I think it was in the beginning of um, it might have been in the beginning of the discovery where we see the Sun Villagers kind of training with Tamane and and the comment is made, you know, anything that we need, we can make from the, the stuff of the palace. So right. now how that would apply to clothing, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, crystal underwear. I don't know. That would be very comfortable. And we, we, you know, we we just saw in the last couple issues that the palace does have little, you know, storage nooks filled with furs and leathers and preserver silk fabric and everything. So they're, they, I think they're clearly still making stuff by hand at this point, but, definitely, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, so hopefully again, somebody will clean up poor Aura, could give him some fresh clothes. And although I gotta say, I actually really love his um, his outfit, very. Um, wild i guess um, um it's kind of nice to see so let's see what else um at well this, you mentioned this... you mentioned moonshade uh, returning to the holt right looks like she's taking sort of a a mini vacation from the palace right. and she's gone to spend some time with strongbow who is elated that she's uh returned to the holt for a bit um so it's great to see the two of them together maybe things aren't as bad as uh, you know they sort of anticipated they would be Uh, of last issue when you know it was very heart-wrenching to see the two of them split up but uh, here she is back in the hole with him um maybe this isn't a permanent separation maybe they can make this work yeah and that's the big thing for me is that yes there the the build-up and then the actual separation that happened last issue i mean it had the emotional impact that it was I, i i I have to guess designed to do right on us readers, but I always have been thinking in the back of my mind that, you know, Strongbow just needs to like, take a deep breath. You, you, you guys are like near immortal. You're going to be to, you know, you've been together for at this point, you know, hundreds of years of living and, you know, and, you know, so Moonshade's going to go do something new and different and not be stuck to your side. Like Lou, it's not the end of the world. It's not like you're not going to get to still see each other and spend time. And, you know, and so I, I, I think that we maybe are getting a glimpse that that might be what is going to happen, that they'll, the moonshade and Strongbow's relationship will have to evolve mm-hmm. into something a little bit new. And yeah, will it be the same as before? No, but will it be bad? No, you know? And, yeah. It's just about that ability to sort of edit or not edit, but adapt um, and and sort of go with the flow, which in a way is like the epitome of the way. If you think about it, you know, being able to adapt to what's around you and again, just sort of go with that flow. Right. Living versus, in the now. Right. Living in the now. Exactly. Yeah. And so but yeah, it was definitely 
really nice to 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 kind of see them come back together and the joy and the smiles and you know even the wolves grinning there so um, I think, you know now that you mentioned that that just sort of triggered a thought that i had but it's sort of the difference between living the way as a philosophy or an ideal and living it as a day-to-day practice and i think strongbow might have become a little bit too hidebound in living the way as a practice mm-hmm. as something that uh you know because the way has uh, things have always been done this way then they must always be done this way right instead of living the way as a philosophy which is like what you just mentioned where it's uh living in the now and adapting right and that's the more the philosophical sort of idea of what it is right and so hopefully um they'll hopefully in the long run they'll they'll as a couple be okay and it might be a different way than we've seen them before but you know yeah i mean obviously they seem to be making it work right now they're both very happy to see each other and yeah she's on holiday and uh (laughs) they seem to be having a good time and then we've got uh cutter and skywise uh, you know, watching the two of them sort of have their reunion and mm-hmm. we get Skywise uh, sort of musing about Tamane, his, his, uh, his erstwhile. Crush. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's like, like high school crush. Right. He's like mooning. Yeah. So should we talk about that? Cause that's probably the biggest thing that happened in this issue. Yeah. Well, but, yeah. But before we dive in. Okay into the big bang there i just love the fact that you know skywise is like you know gushing and blushing i mean he even says his cheeks flush as he's talking about yes. Tamane. and um and skywise refers to her as a maiden and cutter looks over and is like maiden yes. <laughs> it's like that if there were ever a word that didn't apply to Tamane, mm-hmm. it would be maiden which you know just sort of evokes this sort of innocent young virginal kind of thing exactly and i know the elves use that word but um I just thought it was funny. Yeah, it is. It is. Maiden. Um, that it's what's great though about that is it sort of speaks to Skywise's personality where he can look at Tamane and see her not just as this overwhelming goddess being, right. mm-hmm. but he can also see her as an individual and a, a person as well and somebody that he's able to have a crush on. Right. Uh, yeah. I I wonder though what it is that he sees in her because she seems so distant and almost you know she's she's statuesque not just in the sense of her her physicality but also in her personality to some degree like she seems so far removed from like a real (laughs) i would say like a real person but right well he's so beyond these things and and skywise from what we know of him and what he likes about women the you know the elf maidens is he likes elf maidens who are like you know ready to jump into it and you know right down to the mix with him you know and and he loves teasing them and uh-huh. you know they flirting and everything like I don't see pretty much the opposite of, of yeah. Tamane, right? well, well, yeah but like you like the answer to your question is right there you know like what is what does he see in her he says it I see more to her than others do hmm. what that is is sort of still remains a mystery even after the events of this issue but another thing struck me 
okay. while you were talking. And that is that, you know, we tend to think of Cutter and Rayek sort of being the yin and the yang and kind of the, the opposite sides of the coin. But beginning to see Skywise much more in that role. Okay, so both of them have been, quote unquote, masters of the palace. Um, both of them have been obsessed with the stars and the high ones and their heritage. Um, and now both of them have developed sort of a longing and a relationship for these much um, sort of older and, you know, more ancient and um, much, you know, well, maybe not more powerful in Ray's sense, but like, you know, these beings, these, these females of immense, you know, sort of age and power. Um, and I just, do you see, do you see where my I, brain is I going? absolutely do. Yeah. I'm just, and so I, it's like going, wow, that's yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Lights, lights, uh, light bulbs going off. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And, and so it's like, you know, we're seeing Skywise follow in many ways in the path of Rayek, but doing things completely differently. And isn't it interesting too? uh, visually they seem to be opposites, not just Skywise and Rayek, but Winnowill and Tamane as well. I, I mean, we know we know that Winnowill and Tamane are sort of like the opposite ends of, uh, you know, two, two sides of a coin. Yeah. Right. Um, but it, what you're saying about Skywise and Rayek holds true as well. Uh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So it'll be interesting then to see where this goes. And then, of course, like the big bomb that is dropped at the end of the issue, which may or may not be as big of a bomb, you know, for some people based on the, you know, the, the actual cover art. Yeah, the, I mean, we've been talking about this for like twelve <laughs> years or whatever yeah, yeah. since Dreamtime came Dreamtime, out. But then, especially in the last couple of months or so since the preview came out with the issue, and everybody was sort of debating whether it was or wasn't to me, right? Right? And there were right. there were two factions where it's like <laughs> there was like the pro, yes, it's to me, <laughs> and then there was like the no, it's some new elf. She's like a star elf or something. Right. Um, I was I was on the it's to main side, so I was on team to main. So. I, I I was totally on team to main too because I mean, come on, she looks freaking exactly like her, exactly right. You know, with just you know slightly different proportions, right? Uh huh. So, um, but I loved the fact that that debate happened, or you know, people had fun with it because it just again is is to me a testament to Wendy and Richard's storytelling that. Sometimes they can put something that seems like so blatantly obviously obvious right in front of our face and we still don't see it. And, mm. and, and not only that, but, but then we have fun with it and we get into these fun discussions and, well, I think this and you think that and I'm team Tim A and I'm team, you know, star girl or whatever. Right. Yeah, and so yeah. um, I just think it's fun and it's great. Yeah, it and, fun. and it's, it's great that there's enough ambiguity in the way that Wendy and Richard have put this information out that again, for me, I would have been shocked if it wasn't to Maine, just based on everything. It seemed very obvious to me, yeah. but obviously not for everyone. And that's, that's kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so this is, this is amazing, right? Okay. So she's shape changed herself down to wolf rider stature in order to, uh, what? <laughs> okay. Well, I think it's because she, she sensed what Skywise just said to Cutter. She's been, right. she's able to sense this. I don't think he, he voiced this to her directly, but she sensed it from him. Right. Um, who knows? Maybe even like if he was dreaming, she was able to pick up on his thoughts and, you know, uh -huh. who knows? But in any case, and I, 
I'm sure we'll find out, but she's she's done this to herself and for him. I, I think so, too. I think very clearly. And, you know, it's it's funny, too, because in that in that previous scene when Cutter and Skyways are talking, you know, and, and again, Skyways is sort of like mooning over Timane and talking about how amazing she is. And, you know, it's like you can practically like smell like, you know, the teenage boy, you know, oozing off of him when he's like. But does the she hormones. Even see me? Does she even miss me? Yeah. It's like, oh my God, is this like middle school again? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but I think you're absolutely right. I mean, it, it, Tamane must have been able to pick up on this. But I want to go back to like, why does she need to shape change? Right. It's not because of the height issue, because clearly Skyway's had no issue with that and Aurori, although Aurori isn't quite as tall as Tamane. But, you know, I mean, Winnow Will and Rayek, you know, I mean, I. I don't think that would really be the issue. And so I got to thinking about how we have seen the the wolf riders and particularly Cutter respond to Tamane when she's in wolf form mm-hmm. versus when she's in her sort of high one form. Yeah. And, you know, I think we talked about it in a previous episode, too, about that, about how it's, you know, it's much easier for the wolf riders to kind of be to relate to Tamane as a wolf than when she is in her high one form where they feel this sort of reverence and awe. intimidation yeah. and awe. Yes. And so my guess is this, is that even though Skywise doesn't have that reaction to her in the same way that the other elves do, mm-hmm. I think that, well, actually maybe it's a two way street. Maybe it's that she felt like she needed to bring herself sort of more in stature to Skywise in order to give him whatever it is that he's looking for and whatever. But maybe too, um, you know, Tamane acts herself acts differently when she's in her wolf form. Yeah. And so maybe for her to take this next step or adventure and experience, mm-hmm. if she's going to end up, you know, hooking up with Skywise, which let's face it, I mean, that's, I think that's what's going to happen, right? I mean, yeah, I would I would be shocked if that's not what happened next. But, right. um, but you know what I'm saying? Like maybe she. Okay, needed... so what what I'm thinking, and I think this is what you're getting at, is that not only is she shaping her physical form, she's shaping her brain too, and it's the way she'll be able to relate to the Wolf Riders on a level that they they've never experienced with her before, and that's maybe closer to how they could relate to her as a wolf, but right, she's still exactly. an elf. But right. she's no longer she's no longer this ethereal, distant, aloof right. or, you know, a, a being that you, they find intimidating. She's more like an earthy wolf rider now. Right. Um, and she shaped herself into a wolf rider. Yeah, and that includes like the like her brain and her mind would right. be shaped too. So so her relations now with the the elves uh, the Wolf Riders will be completely changed. It will be on a different level than it than it was before. Yeah, I, I mean, I, again, like we're, we're we're kind of talking this through here, and my brain is is rapid firing, kind of playing out those scenarios. But uh, I mean, that makes a lot of sense because otherwise, why would she? Why would she have to shape herself down to that size? Well, exactly. Apart from what. Um, Skywise is longing for, right? And he even says it, what can I say? I see more to her than others do. If only I could stand eye to eye with her, hold her to me, warm her, right? So mm-hmm. obviously that's that's played into it, but for is that is that the full extent of the reason for why she's chosen to do this? I don't think so. I think it's also because for whatever reason, she senses 
that she needs to be in this form right now and she needs to do this for the Wolf Riders as a tribe, not just for Skywise. And it's going to be the way she relates to them now and the way that she she speaks to them and thinks to them will be on a on a level that they're much more comfortable with, I think. Right. Yeah. yeah. And like, wouldn't it be hysterical if like the next thing that happens is that, you know, she's like, you know, chatting up, chatting up Strongbow and like you know, <laughs> popping dream berries with Pike and. Right. You know, right. Well, you know, it's really funny. Fighting with I, swords with Yun. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> when I first read that last panel, I thought that what what Pike was saying was her was word bubble. <laughs> and I had to read it a few times and look at it because I'm going, well, okay, she's really changed. Oh my, if she's well, saying that. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Imagine if she said that. How funny would that be? <laughs> oh my God. Um, but I, I'm wondering too if, uh, if Moonshade is uh, going to make Egg a new wardrobe if she'll finally make something for Tamane to wear. Or... I mean, I think this is like the, the, the biggest question of all time as far this as off goes. This is the Will only Tumane thing that matters in the final quest. Ever wear clothes again. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, Well, so I guess, you know, I have to guess we'll find out next issue answers to all these questions and whether or not we are like, on the mark or if we're totally off base but well here's the big question i've got though and i'm gonna ask you do you think they're going to recognize i don't know i mean i think that we've clearly been teased that they might recognize mm-hmm. um and again that could be like another example of we're we're, we're kind of telling you what's going to happen we're putting it right in front of your face and our fanish brains are, are are just not able to see what's so obvious but I don't know. I mean, they could recognize, but I also feel like why would they need to recognize? Mm-hmm. You know, like recognition is all about like replacing lost elves and danger and everything. Skywise and Tamane are clearly not in any. They're, they're the least likely to to be struck with that thunderbolt for that reason. On the other hand, who knows? Because Wendy and Richard like to pull the carpet out from underneath us, and so. They might they might do it because it's different and they'll have, you know, some logic for it that is that my brain isn't thinking of right now. So I don't know. I don't know. You know, this just uh, popped into my mind right now. But we had been told in previous stories that uh, that Skywise and Tamane had adventures among the stars uh, together in in the palace. So I wonder if part of her shaping herself to this this size in this way um, is it's a better form for adventuring could be. Yeah. I mean that, that, that particular line came from the, the wild hunt storyline, which within, within the, the, within the, the framework of the final quest or the final quest prologue mm-hmm. or, you know, somewhere in that. You know what that though? Time, right? it, it wasn't just in that it was, there was also uh, in one of the last issues of, it was either hidden years or shards uh, or, or any of the series in the nineties. When they ended, there was an, a matter of opinion, uh-huh. Richard's editorial, and there was a line in there where he was talking about future stories, and uh, one of the lines was about there's there's uh, future stories, Venka's search for her mother, and and one of those sentences was uh, Skywise and Timane's adventures amongst the stars. Well, that's interesting. I don't remember that, but the, I'd have to find it. But I'm 99% certain. 
is that all of those editorial pages um, are online and on elfquest.com in the read section and the online comics. Um, Richard's going to listen to this and be like, <laughs> oh, he's going to be like, oh, don't even try to pin me something that I wrote 20 years ago, you little twits. <laughs> Sorry, Richard, we can't help it. Um, yeah, but you know, no, it's, it's actually a nice little sidebar that. Um, you know, again, all of those original letter pages and editorials from the original issues, um, at least for I'm, I'm actually looking at it right now. doesn't look like they're up there for the original quest, but I'm pretty sure. Let me go back to the library and look up, um, you know, some of the the later issues. Let's see. Um, yeah, they, they definitely are up there for hidden years. And so um, so if anybody wants to go through the online comics and look at all those editorial pages and track down that exact line and post it on Facebook, we'll give you a shout out next time. And I'm sure, again, Richard is probably rolling his eyes, but we can't help it. <laughs> awesome. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I live for that now to make Richard roll his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, I would be very careful saying that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Public. <laughs> um, okay, so let's talk about the Jun. Is he dead? I think he's dead, right? I think he's uh, – he, well, actually, you know what? Yes, because if you, if you read his last line, it ends in that little asterisk. Yes, yes. Which and we is see his skull. Right. So he's got to be dead. Which – okay, so Angriff John, you know, total jerk – megalomaniac you know awful person but i gotta say these last scenes with him Mm -hmm. were were pretty amazing i mean the the darkness and the somber note of the art um and 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 in particular i think sunny's coloring yeah with like the purples and the yellow and his like sort of gray skin tone um just created such atmosphere very uh, gothic yeah, and this just this sort of dark, heavy weight, sort of like a black curtain film hanging over this entire scene. And of course, we learn that basically, Krim actually was successful. She did kill the John. Mm-hmm. It might have taken ten years, but it was a slow, painful death, which in a way is maybe more fitting and more just, you know, for him. But um, but, but the the creepiest part of this whole thing. And again, I think it's just so fitting is that, you know, again, in his in his megalomania, he you know, he's not willing to sort of just die and go away or, you know, sit back in his palace while he sends his master fleet out to go kill the elves. He actually wants his head to be chopped off, (laughs) mounted on the front of the head ship and let the wind and the gulls wash away and his all of his decaying flesh so that his skull is sitting there you know as the introduction to his fleet and it's just like okay wow symbol of doom that everyone will see as as this fleet approaches totally sort of macabre dark and it's not not something frankly that i'm used to seeing in elf quest no what an extreme change in tone as well for this issue but um so suitable obviously for this Totally. particular sequence right but but uh, very very different from the rest of the issue and uh it was very demonstrative of what the jun's goals were and how even in death his his uh his prime directive still continues i wonder though who's going to take over for him now he obviously has no 
um, children uh, or heir. Right. Um, he's got this this uh, guy here, his uh, head henchman, whoever he is. But um, like, who's going to be the leader now? Of well, Shuna asked that same question. Yes. Yes. And it's a fascinating question. I mean, who is going to sort of fill in the shoes of of Angriff John and and you know what? Like, are the people of the continent that will become known as Junsland, you know, what are they going to choose a new type of leader? Now, <clears throat> again, in the time of the of the future stories, future quest and, and the rebels and Jenkin and, and those stories, th- we see that there is basically like the world government is a matriarchy. They've got a female leader named the Doma and even the military is headed by women. And so uh I mean, and I think, you know, Shuna all along has there has been this sort of story arc of sort of the, you know, the the rise of the matriarchy or, you know, women in roles of leadership or whatever. And so I, I think we're getting some pretty strong hints that we're going to maybe see some of that change begin to happen um, over on that continent. Yeah, um, I definitely you know. sense that, too, when when Shuna makes that offhand remark about her people in, in John's land and who will lead them now, right? It seems to be sort of suggesting that maybe she might take on a leadership role at some point, especially given now that her her, her lifespan has been increased. To mm-hmm. Who knows how long, right? Or And it could be extended indefinitely, potentially, if she wanted it. So if she wants to go back to John's land at some point and sort of, you know, lead the people there, that's, that's certainly uh, in play. Right. Yeah. Which would be a fascinating turn of events, I think, um, you know, because it's like maybe she, you know, maybe Shukapek and Hartha are and their children will pick up where she left off. And maybe she will end up back over in Junsland, finishing what she started, essentially, by toppling the Jun. And um, yeah, it would be really interesting. I have no idea. You know, what would be really interesting if she went back and she found out that there was a following for her, like if she had become sort of a Joan of Arc type figure and there was an underground that sort of still, you know, remembered Shuna and what she and she comes back maybe maybe even years from now she goes back when there's there's been a generation or so has passed, you know, and. And they, but they still have stories about her, and here she is in the flesh. You know, it will be interesting to see. Yeah, but no, it would, would would totally be really fascinating, and that theory makes a lot of sense to me. Um, that there, that she would almost have attained like a cult status. Yes, yeah. You know, um, it, it, it makes total sense. I mean, she's the last like the Lady Gaga of her time. <laughs> I don't know about that. Not until I hear her sing will I make that comparison. But <laughs> um, yeah, so so <laughs> trying to steer back into seriousness, yeah, yeah. which is difficult after you drop Lady Gaga in the middle of this. Who, who I I love, by the way, but um, I just don't equate her with ElfQuest. But um, <laughs> not yet. So so going back to that final scene with the, the, the war fleet and the skull, you know, you were talking about, you know, what a contrast it is. I mean, just like flip to the next page where we see the beginning of a couple page spread here of this sort of great gathering of representatives of all the tribes, which we've never, has never happened before. Right. Well, Um, uh, shards was at the end of shards. Well, they were all gathered in the palace. Right. But again, it was only the, the, well, 
it still is only the, the elves and tribes that we know um, or have been you know shown as having heard the call or whatever. But but, um, but only but, wait a second. So, yes, yes, you're right. Only the ones who have answered the call to this point. I don't know if that's everybody yet. Exactly. Right. Right. So but it's still it's still a really cool scene. Um, you know, well, OK, so first of all, we got to talk about Ender's, Ember's wardrobe channeling bear claw like right down to the the wolf head which is in her belt buckle i mean it's it's pretty it's pretty rad yeah that is pretty rad so uh, you know again we've talked about this a million times about how you know wendy really is a master at at costuming and telling stories with the basically the fashion that she decides to put her characters in yeah and this is a great example too of something that you know, if you're new to ElfQuest or, um, you know, maybe you're not new. I mean, this is one of those things where you could totally read this story, read this issue a million times and never necessarily connect the dots. And it's not going to affect your enjoyment or the main story arc or whatever. But then when you finally do, it's like, oh, it's like discovering a hidden language that's been right in front of you the whole time. Yes. Yes. Um, and so, and, and and I'll say the first time that I read this, I didn't actually catch that. I mean, I, I registered that she had a new outfit, but it wasn't until I was going back and kind of rereading and flipping through, um, you know, a couple times after I got the issue that I really, it, I was like, Oh yeah. Bear claw. Yeah. Like, down to the T. Like right. she's got the, the, the brown fur, you know, sort of, around her collar and around her boots. She's got the Navy blue, um, you know, sort of tunic. She's, you know, she's got the, the fricking wolf head. You know? Exactly. So it's, it's all there. Right. Yeah. 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 All um, these, all these, uh, sort of, um, visual indicators to her lineage and her grandfather who she takes after to some extent, especially with, uh, it was a few issues ago where after the battle with the John and everything. And she was looking at the human children. And remember she had that moment where she was thinking humans and we kind of got the sense like, Oh, what's, what's Ember thinking about humans? How does she right. feel? And it's sort of a little bit like how Bearclaw mm-hmm. felt about humans. So, that still hasn't uh, really been explored yet in the final quest. Ember's. Well, I think this might, might be a visual, you know, sort of clue or connector to that. Um, that maybe in you know we've there's more to see with Ember and how she reacts to humans and you know maybe she will follow in the footsteps of her grandfather which would be sort of a scary thought but you know you mentioned you mentioned fashion and I was just thinking how um, Tolkien was a, a linguist and uh, there's there's people who study his work and say that you know he wrote the Lord of the Rings because he just wanted to invent he wanted to invent languages and that was his purpose for mm-hmm. and I, sometimes I wonder if Wendy created elf quest so she could do fashion design <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that's genius that is genius i would guess that she wouldn't deny that at least on some level so it's a huge part of ElfQuest, right is, is the totally fashion. and we i i at least eat it up with a spoon oh I mean, me too anytime i get to see wendy's new clothing designs it's just like bring it on bring it on bring it on any new series or, or issue when it comes out i'm always anticipating what are the characters going to be wearing in this issue, you know, or this series? Because it's always something really interesting and new and, and creative that she brings to the table. So, And I'll tell you what, we've actually been really spoiled in this storyline in the final quest 
because we've gotten to see because of so many jumps in time and we're seeing lots of different seasons. Um, Plus you know, we've we're got two see- haute couture designers now, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, um, so, I mean, now that we're, again, we're sort of in the t- spot in the story where we're going to be, you know, maybe we won't see as many clothing changes, which I'm sure Wendy is probably happy about because she doesn't have to remember all the details of them. But, um, but you know, this is another thing that, um, you know, we started out talking about the art and the use uh, that, you know, the, the employment of um, kind of using models that Wendy can then cut and paste and kind of manipulate into, into different positions. I, I bet you that we have been able to see so many different and unique and interesting and detailed costumes in the final quest, as opposed to previous series, precisely because of that ability, because Wendy probably only has to draw it once or, you know, twice or something. And then she can take that body with the costume on it and manipulate it into different ways. Whereas if she had to draw it all from scratch, everybody would be wearing, you know, brown tunics with no detail on it. Right. Oh, for sure. So, I mean, that's one, that's a perfect example of what an amazing, asset it is for Wendy to be able to work in the way that she does. Definitely. So, um, so in this scene, uh, something interesting here is that, uh, Tinge, uh, who I had uh, earlier referred to as was it Tinder, Tinder, uh, before we, before we found out what her name was, uh, it looks like she and Corbasi are a couple. They're, yeah, totally. Yeah. Which I think is, I think it's great. I think it makes, makes a lot of sense. I mean, we've been told that she's, you know, maybe a little bit special after being healed by um, by Mender of the Burns. You know, she's got a little bit of, you know, sort of the touch, if you will, um, just like Corbasi. And she was a sweet little thing as a little, as a little, you know, however old she was, you know, seven, eight, nine years old, whatever. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I mean, I think it makes perfect sense. And and hopefully we'll get to see a little bit more of them and they won't just be totally a background. Um, but, um, yeah, we, we, we see... Um, we definitely see the girl in the background and we see, um, the little orphan boy, as we yeah. have called him because he never got a name. But we don't see the boy. Um, no. We so and I don't know if that's deliberate or, you know, if that's just because there wasn't enough room in the panel. But it definitely noticed that he wasn't there and the rest of them were. But yeah. Uh, Molly, right? Is that her Molly name? is the girl. Oh, yeah. The girl. Yeah. The girl. Uh, <laughs> I was a little disappointed to see that uh, the rest of Ember's tribe uh, didn't go along. Um, I mean, I, I guess they they have to stay at the Holt. Uh, yeah, I mean, whatever, whatever reason. But you know what? I think the reason is because, as Ember says, it's a gathering of chiefs. And so the real purpose of this gathering is to get all the chiefs together to discuss what they're going to do i guess i i'm not really quite clear on why this gathering is happening necessarily she ember says there's to be a ceremony a gathering of chiefs never have elves come together like this corbasi so it's definitely specific it's like it's like a a, a board meeting and cutter's the <laughs> ceo right and That's so right. Like, all of the all of the managers <laughs> the various right. departments have to come in they're going to have a round table Right. Um, so well, the the entire tribe itself doesn't have to go along. Right. And, you know, the wave dancers don't all come along either. Just um, the four um, uh, snakeskin and Brill and Corfei and Reef. So, um, you know, I mean, I I think you're right. I mean, it's not meant to be a the 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 end all be all gathering of all of the elves ever known. It's it's their leaders that are going and those who choose to go. Um, 
Okay, which, my brain's firing right now. You know what I think it is? They're coming together, and all the Chiefs are going to decide, are we staying or are we going? I think that's what it's going to be. And then it's going to be everybody who wants to go gets together, and everybody who stays stays. But th- I think that's going to be the purpose of this meeting. Well, and I was kind of thinking along somewhat somewhat similar along the lines is that, you know, maybe, I mean, the, the, the go-backs and the Sunfolk and some of the Wolf Riders are already gathered there. And those Wolf Riders that stayed at Ember's Halt, the Keepers of the Way, and the Wave Dancers who are just much more tied to that particular environment on the World of Two Moons didn't go to this meeting. And may, I'm wondering if there's some symbolism there in, you know, the th- these might be the elves that choose to stay behind. So who knows? We'll see. Um, but let's let's talk about the Wave Dancers for a second and that awesome um, Coral Palace that we see. Yeah. Right. I yeah, mean, isn't that pretty cool? I think, in fact, that might have Wendy might have actually hinted. I think this is the page that she had sent out like a teaser a while ago saying like, oh, my God, you guys have to see this page. Um, and if you're into if you're into like under the sea and, and you know, mermaids and all that stuff, this page is for you. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, I was going to say about snakeskin, he makes this sort of offhand comment about guess I'd best go, though I may not long qualify. Uh, as as for being a chief. So I was curious about what he meant by that. Uh, it seems to suggest that he might not be chief of the Wolf Riders for much longer. And I'm not quite sure what that is referring to. Chief of the Wave Dancers. I'm sorry, yeah, of the Wave Dancers. Um, you know, does that mean someone's going to take his place? Is it Korafe? Or is he thinking that maybe the the Wave Dancers might be not a tribe for much longer? Are they Are they going to leave in the palace despite what we've uh what we've read in in previous issues where i think it was sunstream was saying they seem much more tied to the world of two moons than right a lot of the other elves yeah i mean i, I that's definitely those were all of the thoughts that went through my head too like why wouldn't you be chief again maybe korafe would step up and be their chief because we've seen her personality. And again, this whole idea that she is the first wave dancer sort of born without fear. And, you know, so she actually would probably be frankly a lot better of a leader than snakeskin who never wanted to do it in the first place. Yeah. Um, so, but he says it kind of with a smile on his face. So it's nothing bad. Um, but then Korafe of course comes back and says, you know, Oh, whatever snakeskin, who else, you know, who else could coral shape as a palace of our own? So, you know, it's not like she's going to challenge him. But, you know, I could totally see him passing the baton on to her. Um, so that would be kind of interesting, especially since she is a, you know, granddaughter of chiefs. You know, I mean, she's Cutter's granddaughter. So maybe leadership, you know, kind of skipped a generation from that perspective. And um, yeah, so who knows? Again, another thing we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. So we get to the gathering that everybody arrives. Uh, we've got a, a nice moment here with Venka and Tyr, who finally get to meet each other. So brother, brother and sister, half siblings, I guess they are. Not that that matters, but uh, we've got a wolf too, who's uh, greeting um, the wave dancers, Brill and and uh, Snakeskin. So that's kind of a funny moment. And and I love this because what is the wolf doing? It's licking its chops. 
I have to guess that the wave dancers probably smell pretty fishy. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the wolf is like, ooh, you smell good. You know, maybe something you know, stinky to roll in or something. I, I doubt he's trying to eat snake skin, but um, you, know, you know how dogs are. And yes. like, you know, anything as aromatic as like a, a fish out of water is like instant attractant for them to like roll all over in and become as stinky and gross as possible. Definitely. So <laughs> oh, I'd, I'd hate to think of the wave dancers smelling like fish though, but you might be right. Well, the wolf riders smell like whatever the wolves roll in. <laughs> I mean, Oh man, I'm going to keep doing that. <laughs> um, yeah. So we've got everybody here and then we've got a, a scene of the uh, little, Panel of all the chiefs, Cutter, Snakeskin, Sava, Ember, Venka. And Venka's wearing uh, what she was wearing in her dream, and Pike makes it that, which is pretty cool. Totally. Then we've got uh, Brony himself, <laughs> who we uh, who we now have a name for. And I'm going to let you do this one. Cause... No, Ryan, you have to say oh, it first. Oh, don't make me do it. <laughs> no, it's a role. You have to. Dreon? Dreon? Yeah, that's how I would say it, with a little bit of a, a pause there. Um, uh, Dreon or Dreon, um, I don't know, something. Well, again, Richard will correct us. So, um, <laughs> But um, yeah, we finally get to see him. I, I actually, I wasn't expecting this. I thought that it would be, we'd have to wait a little bit longer, um, especially since we got to see Oric, who was not pictured in the big spread from a few issues ago when the call first went out. Um and so I thought, okay, this this is sort of the big surprise, and that's it. And then we get to the end of the issue, and sure enough, we get to meet Dreon and learn a little bit about him. Like he doesn't talk, he doesn't send, but he sings. What the, what's up with that? You know? Yeah, this is something really new, right? Like, what does that mean? He sings? Like, I don't know. I, is he incapable of sending and speaking? Um, like, it is there? Uh, uh, have some sort of physical inability to do those things, and, but he can sing. I don't. I don't really understand. Like what? It's really interesting, though. I'm very, very intrigued by this character. And he's big, right? He's much bigger, uh, ma- like mass-wise. Uh, not only stature, but he's he's thick. He's he's a big guy. Right. I was actually, you know what? When I read his name, I I thought reverse the. The, the two segments of his name and you've got Andre and he's like Andre oh the giant. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. If I could totally, totally see yeah. Wendy and Richard doing that. Really? And I never in a million years would have guessed it. So again, we'll see when they listen to this, if they have any response to that, but I could absolutely, could you not That's just be, what I picture thought. yourself yeah. being a fly on the wall and them saying, well, this guy's bigger He's kind of like a giant elf. What we should call? What should we call him? And you know, it would have been Richard who would have said, <laughs> "Yes, Andre. What about Dre on the giant? Oh my God, I could totally see that happening." So yeah, yeah. If you if you figure that out, you're you you got to get some kind of award. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well we'll see what they say. I don't. It just occurred to me. So yeah, because you're right. He is kind of like sort of the a, a giant of an elf, if you will. I mean, he's only half a head taller, but he definitely does seem to have. Um, guy. Yeah, yeah. And they make a point of pointing it out that he's a big one. So um I'm so su- I'm super interested by this character. I want to know more about him. Why why he can't speak or send? He he's an elf and he can't send. 
Well, well, okay, but remember, the Sunfolk couldn't send. You know, it could be. I mean, he was listed as the loneliest. Oh my god, I didn't even think of that. So maybe he's never. Like maybe he's never been around another elf. Maybe he's never learned to speak because he grew up completely isolated. That's why. Yeah. You know, and and he never had anybody to teach him the 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 art of sending. but then again, like, why is he singing? Like, I all I picture is like, you know, the 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 ElfQuest version of the Buffy the Vampire Slayer musical episode, where like the only way you get to hear from him is this, this like special scene where like everybody's singing. <laughs> ElfQuest goes Broadway. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, well, I guess again, as with like everything we've talked about tonight, we're just gonna have to wait and see what happens next issue and beyond. But um. But and even his dress, I mean, we've talked about this before, what he's wearing, it's so unique and different from mm. what we've seen before. So it, it it seems to suggest that he comes from a specific culture of elves True. that have this sort of symbology or, you know, this way of dressing. Um, I, because it, to me, it's, if he was... Uh, if he grew up totally isolated, he wouldn't even have the means or the knowledge to you know, make clothes. Right. Well, I mean, there's a lot of other things there too. I mean, maybe he was raised by humans or he stole from humans or I don't know. I mean, there could be, who knows? Yeah. Yeah. It will be very, very interesting to uh, find out more about him. I'm right. intrigued by this character. Yeah. He's also got a slightly uh, more olive skin tone as well. Yeah, he does. Um, so that could just be again, cause he's been living out in the sun somewhere. Um, but there is a, uh, sort of a, a character resemblance. I gotta say it to tear. Yeah, no, I noticed that as well. He's got, he's got the same color hair. Um, he's got the braids. Um, he's certainly got the, you know, the Kavi eyebrows that Vaya, Venka and tear all have. Yeah. So, you know, could this be another one of, of, Kavi's kids mm. that has been, you know, sort of out there. I don't know. I mean, it's possible. Uh, I mean, we know that from hidden years that Tyr grew up uh, amongst Gobacks who were living on the plains, right? At one point. So, uh, and what became of those people? You know, maybe he, maybe he's a descendant of those people. He does. There's something about his face, though, that uh, it's it's triggering something. Where I'm trying to place who he looks like to me, like it's. A, well, you've already done that. No, but not not just Chris the, Parnell. Oh yeah, <laughs> no, that was that was a. But in this in this panel though, he's looking like somebody, and it's not Chris Parnell; it's somebody else. It's it's some celebrity or actor. I don't know who it is, but it's it's kind of. In which panel? The one with the one where he's looking face on. Yeah, yeah, where he's. Uh, no, no, sorry, not the one where he's face on. Uh, it's on the very last page, and it's the the top right panel. There's something okay. about him that's. If I figure it out, I'll let you know. But... Well, let's talk about that panel because I usually immediately get the whatever is being communicated by the way that Wendy draws subtle facial expressions, mm-hmm. and this is one where. Uh, I'm not sure I know exactly what's going on here. I mean, he and Cutter are looking at each other. They're smiling. There's no threat there. But Drayon is looking sort of down. He's his, his head is tilted back a little bit. 
which which to me would read like a little bit like I'm higher than you. I'm kind of looking down on you. But then his smile and his eyebrow expressions don't have. I To me, it looks like they're sizing each other up a little bit. Right. And that's the next thing I was going to say, like sizing each other up or, you know, sort of meeting with approval. Uh, I don't know. There, there's nothing there's nothing in there that to me that suggests uh, any sort of animosity or other than to me, like the fact that it, that he's now kind of tilted his head back to look down at Cutter. But I don't think like I don't think that that's what is is meant to be communicated there. So, no, no, I, I, I don't think there's anything uh, like to be suspicious about. Yeah, it just looks like they're OK. They're meeting each other and he's sort of like they're they're sizing each other up. That's what I'm getting from that. Um, interestingly, Skywise ditched his um, his metal headband. Yeah, I noticed that too. Uh, on the page before. Yeah. Um, and so I wonder if this is, you know, where he gets his new version with a star on it that we've seen in like the teasers, but not actually in the story yet. It's possible, or it's possible they're just like high on dream berries, and he just took it <laughs> off because because Pike does say right, have we all gobbled too many dream berries? Right. So I. But yeah, you're you're right. I mean, we we've seen that image a number of times now, where Skywise has a star on his his headpiece. Seems to be sort of like a a badge that symbolizes something. Hey, speaking of new clothes, um, I just noticed too while I'm looking at this and we're we're recording that um, Snakeskin has a new outfit. Yes, yeah, I noticed that. So that, yeah, anyway, that's just interesting. Um, it's it looks more like a, a seaweed type thing now than than the starfish, which is kind of nice. I mean, the wolf riders, especially the main characters, are the ones that we've seen get lots of new and different outfits. Um, mm. And a lot of the you know, sort of more background characters know, and of course that makes a ton of sense again because who on earth is going to want to keep track of all that? Yeah. So it's kind of nice to see a wave dancer get uh, get a fashion makeover too. Definitely, yeah, they get some attention. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, speaking of wave dancers, uh, the one thing that we didn't touch on um, in the Rayek scene, which I think is actually pretty significant, is the, you know, when they're when they're trying to heal Winnowill and she wakes up and is struggling and, you know, Rayek's head is going to explode and everything. The call gets canceled out. Yes. And they make it's you know a significant note because they kind of show the elves around the world kind of reacting to the fact that oh where where'd the call go, um, so the a that in and of itself is kind of an interesting thing that 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 could happen, and then b the other thing that I thought that was interesting was and and kind of cool was the way that that scene with um, Dryon and Snakeskin and then the the tree elf that you see in that panel, how they kind of talk about how the elves perceive the call slightly differently based on their, what they need and what their knowledge of it is and everything. And so, you know, for Dreyon, it's the irresistible pull for the wave dancers. It represents sort of a a choice. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. we have a choice to stay here or go to that. We're choosing to stay here. And then for the tree elf, it's perceived as an irritation. Yes. Yeah. Which is interesting. Right. Right. Yeah. Which I, you know, sort of leads me to what I was thinking about these particular elves uh, since they were first introduced, which I, I kind of get a bad feeling about them. Uh, I don't want to hate them. I don't want to do that. <laughs> you keep pointing things out that make them seem like they're going to be villains, but this, I don't know um... if they're going to be villains, but I just, I don't know. I'm not getting a good feeling about them. Yeah. Well, again, who knows? I mean, 
I guess I shouldn't be greedy because, again, we got to see Oric, We got to meet Dryon in this one. So I'll have to be a little bit more patient before we get to learn a little bit more about these tree elves. But mm. I am definitely intrigued. You know, it's kind of like, um, well, I didn't read the original quest in order. I actually started with the with the graphic novels, with the dawning graphic novels. And I started with book two okay. and then I went back and read book one and then three and four. But I, it, it the, the introduction of these tree elves to me mm-hmm. feels very similar to maybe the way that two edge was, was introduced. Mm. Like you actually, he was introduced fairly early on and, and maybe issue six yeah. um, of the original quest, six of 20 issues. And you got sort of references and little hints of him over the course of the next, I don't know, eight issues or whatever, before you actually ever saw him. Yes. Um, and I kind of feel like that's, it's kind of the same thing with these tree elves. Right. We're going to get little glimpses and little hints at them, but it's, I, I'm, I'm guessing that I'm going to have to be patient for a while longer. Yeah. I think we might be waiting for a bit before we, uh, we, we find out exactly who they are and what they're all about. Cause I don't think that any of them are making their way to the palace of their own accord. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. Well, especially if they are perceiving the call as an irritation, I, I doubt it. Yeah. You know, uh, just looking at these three in that panel and, you know, these these unknown elves um, and these tribes uh, and, uh, you know, thinking back to that two page spread when the call first went out and we saw some of them. Um, I know you and I have discussed this before, but I wonder if that's everybody, you know, like we, we still haven't seen. Jethil and Chot. <laughs> right. It's like <laughs> they're inside an alligator's belly. <laughs> oh yeah, right. That's what they are. Um, but you know, I'm thinking about like uh, in the Wild Hunt when we talked about uh, when the the characters were referencing um, Adarak and uh, winged elves. There was the statue of the winged elf, you know, and we haven't seen any reference to that to any sort of elf of that sort or, or to that storyline. So I wonder if that's even considered a part of the storyline or not. Right. If we will see something that explains that at some point. Well, you know, saying that you saying that has me thinking, um, I wonder if that was inspired by Tildak. So, so we, you know, I'm thinking of, you know, Kavi's story um, or I'm sorry, Winkin's story of Tildak's demise. And, you know, in that flashback, you clearly see them, um, you know, meeting with various groups of humans. And in one panel, it even says like, you know, there, there were worshipful ones and they're all dressed in white. And, you know, Kavi's there kind of showing off. Winkin's kind of in the background and Tildak's standing there with his wings spread. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if Tildak actually inspired, you know, Adarak, which would make a certain sort of sense. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We would. We'll see what happens. Uh, whether whether that's the case or whether it is another um, tribe of elves that we haven't seen yet. Um, but speaking of uh, other tribes, but one that isn't elfin, how about we talk about the trolls? Because they yes. finally finally made an appearance in the final quest. And it's it's great. I mean, uh, it, like we get a lot of trolliness in this issue. Yes, it's chock full of trolls. Right. Um, so, so, okay. Number one, I love Drub. She's just totally badass, And, you know, she's in her, you know, sort of queenly glory with her big crown. And I love the fact that, um, 
that she's described as dyed and rouged because she's all, you know, she's got her big red lips and, you know, and, and so. Um, she's so, do you notice she's so voluptuous that her bosom. Her boobs are sitting on the table. Sitting totally. on the table. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, who needs a plate when you have, a, you know, something to rest your food on right there, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and she, yeah. And so she's uh, her, her typical old self, totally confident. You know, totally greedy. You know, she wants to. Well, so the big thing that we learn in this scene is that um, is that they the elves have basically propositioned Picknose and said, you know what? We need somebody to, like, take care of these misfit trolls. How about you come back to Greyman's old kingdom? You've been over in the new land, you know, for 10,000 years or whatever. There's all sorts of new treasures to be had over here. So why don't you make that journey? And then the second part of that is going over to Flan or to Drub and asking if she'll take over Picknose's new land kingdom. And so they of course agree to all of that, which is, is kind of awesome. It's it, again, a perfect story plot point to get the trolls back to the original halt. I mean, it's very, it, it makes so much sense. And, um, and it will, sort of unrelated to this scene, but, but in another scene, you know, Audrey's comment about, you know, Picknose comes back, then they're not going to need her to, um, to keep the misfit trolls in line. And I, I just wonder again, if that's a little bit of a, of a, a little hint there or foreshadowing that maybe there's something that is going to happen with Audrey yeah, now yeah. that she's not sort of, uh, she doesn't have her, her duty and her job down in the troll caverns. Well, she might take that opportunity to maybe go to the palace at this point. Maybe if her, you know, her stint uh, working in the, the the troll caverns at the, the forge with Tree Stump and Clearbook is over, then maybe she can go to the palace. And, it, it, you know, it's clear from this that she and Winkin have sort of gone their separate ways or are beginning to or... Well, no, see, I think... Okay, so so let's talk about the scene between Audrey and Two Edge, um, where she says this. I mean, she says, well, okay, so number one, I love this scene. The art is amazing. Really great to see Audrey, who has really been a background character since the beginning, get a little, a little bit more of the limelight. Yeah. And we're learning a little bit more about her. And this exchange that she has with Two Edge, where, you know, she's being a typical Sun Villager and extending a hand of, um, you know, of friendship and wanting to help feed Two Edge because he must be lonely or whatever. And they have this great little exchange where, you know, Tree, or I, I, uh, Two Edge, not Tree Stump. Mm-hmm. Um, Two Edge is sort of brooding and feeling sorry for himself. And, you know, and she's like, why would you? And he's like, why would you invite me? And she's like, well, I know what it's like to yearn for someone who chooses to fly elsewhere. And so that to me is not that, that like Winkin has just sort of ditched Audrey. I think it just means that Audrey is more interested in you know, having a more, um, I don't know, exclusive, intense relationship with Winkin, and he's more interested, his head is in the clouds. And so it's not that he, I mean, he, again, he's obviously considers her his love mate still, but I don't think it's, I think that she's looking for more than he is. Yeah, I agree. With and you. she's, but the cool thing is, is that, you know, little, little nuggets of elf quest wisdom, um, you know, she, being an elf, she's like, okay, you know, like, I'm going to live forever. I'm not going to sit over and pine for this guy. You know, like, would I like it to be different? Sure. But, you know, I'm going to get on with my life. It's best to be kind, not bitter. Um, and I just thought that was a nice little bit of ElfQuest wisdom that, 
that we get in the story. And sometimes we get it a little bit more directly written in the story like this. Yes. I love this scene too. I, what I really like is this whole uh, new situation that's developed where two edges going to assist tree stump and Clearbrook at the forge and help them to make, uh, to make uh, metal weapons and everything else, I suppose, whatever they need out of, out of metal. Uh, he's, he says here specifically, you know, he's, he's, uh, He's done it for trolls and humans, so now he's going to he's going to do it for elves. He's going to help them and and teach them what he knows about metal making. But but this is the thing that's interesting about that um, is that you know he says I've worked for the trolls, I've worked for the humans to their gain and my loss. Mm-hmm. And what he's saying to Tree Stump and Clearbrook here is not that I'm going to teach you, but that you're going to work for me, and then and through that process I'll teach you. Right. So what what does Two Edge want to build or do that they're going to help him with? Well, and this is what I think ties into Tree Stump's dream from Dreamtime. And that's I'm a little concerned about that. I'm Me not a too. little concerned. I'm concerned because uh, we know what happens in Tree Stump's dream. Right. Like So maybe Tree Stump you know, is going to get the training – but also, you know, help Two Edge build something that is going to end up backfiring. And um, yeah, so I, I'm a little bit leery of of that decision. At the same time, what a badass pair are Tree Stump and Two Edge. You know, if they become, you know, sort of buddies and and compatriots in, in forging, um, you know, it's sort of it, it. They're just cool. Yeah, exactly. It's a it's a good team. It looks like it's going to be a good team, and they're going to work together and and make stuff speaking of teams you know we were talking about the elves basically going on ambassador missions to the trolls to convince them of this and of course it's mender and dart who have been picked to go you know because mender gets along with the trolls really well i'm assuming but i and you know we learned that um that they actually you know went out on a on a traditional quest on the back of wolves to sort of sniff out um you know find where the the trolls are which you know they're they're on the over in the new land, not too far away from where Ember's tribe is. But still, you know there could have been an adventure in there that I wish we could have seen. But again, there's not 50 pages in every issue, that's, so that's I, fan fiction. That's what right, the, you know, exactly. that's, that's up to us to come up with. I think right. But I really like this scene because it reminds me of um, Cutter and yep. Skywise together, right? And I'm sure you thought the exact same thing. Totally, mostly because of the mugs. Yeah, you know what? I want to look at those mugs that they had in book two when they were with the trolls because i wonder if they're the same mugs all right that's good homework too yeah that's homework but i <laughs> but i do the dynamic here with the trolls and the two of them together uh it just reminded me of um of, the good old days i really like seeing flam and drub again i hope this isn't the only time we're going to see them i hope we'll get to see more of them and and uh somehow they'll factor into more of the story going forward and drub's kingdom and and what flam's been up to because we know that flam was sort of a protege of two edge and he was building machines steam powered machines cool so i'd like to see what he's come up with and him and uh and mender had quite the uh fun dynamic as well totally yeah but you know this this scene too with dart and mender uh, I'm, I'm still thinking that those two are going to end up being a couple, uh, love mates. Uh-huh. Like we, we've been told, right. Since the start that there was going to be a same sex pairing in the final quest. And my guess is that it's going to be those two. And this is just further evidence of sort of their, the two of them growing closer together. 
Right. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I mean, you know, you you have Mender making a salacious comment about Dart being naked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A few a few issues ago, and then you have that sort of really intense conversation between the two of them, where you know Dart is kind of playing a little bit of a conscience to to Mender and his freewheeling use of his magic, and um, you know, which ends up in Mender complimenting Dart basically saying, I'm not as good as you, you know, you're, and so that's the last we have seen the two of them until now. And now they're kind of questing together. So yeah, I mean, I think, I think you might be right. And then of course we've got the scene of, uh, pick nose, odd bit, old <laughs> maggoty and trinket. And they're the gangs all here. There they are. The Royal family, the family Royale, uh-huh. uh, the Royale with cheese. And they're, uh, <laughs> they're being carried on a litter by their troll, warrior dudes right uh all the way to the the old hold so i guess they they must they've either got tunnels built underneath the ocean or they're going north and then going back down south again i don't know but it must be a long journey that they're on i would imagine from from new land yeah well i mean we've seen before that the trolls are willing to travel you know halfway across a continent you know when graming's troll when i'm sorry guttlecraw's trolls fled the you know the frozen north when the glaciers came and ended up down under the halt so i mean this is further than that obviously but you know trolls they can be mobile when they need to be i'm so happy though to see this bunch and i i'm so glad to know that they're going to be back under the halt again and there's going to be interactions with these trolls i i love them i was gonna say these clowns because they kind of <laughs> i mean they kind of are right bro they're like comedic relief Right. Don't call old Maggoty a clown. Uh, well, will... Okay, well, no, maybe, maybe not her so much. Yeah, she's definitely not somebody to cross, but the rest of them. The one thing I did notice, though, do you notice how small Trinket is still? Well, so, yes, but I don't think, I mean, she's laying on her stomach. Yeah, but she still, she looks young, though. Well, she, she, I, I don't know. I mean, she's, proportionately, she's a little bit further back than, than, um, than Oddbit is, and I mean, she's pretty much her head is the same size as old Maggoty. So I just think she's laying down and I think she's she's still fairly young. I mean, she's only like, what, 50 years old. Yeah, but wouldn't she be a full grown adult? Maybe trolls age slower. I no, I think she's totally a full grown adult. I just think that the fact that she she's basically laying on her stomach, resting. She's got one elbow and she's got her other foot dangling up in the back. Like, you know, she's basically in this sort of like princess pose being driven around by you know, the, her, her servants essentially. Yes. Um, she still has a big bow in her hair, but I don't, I don't think, I, I mean, I see why you're saying that because of the position. She looks like she could be still child sized, but I don't think so. I don't know. I could be wrong. Well, we'll have to see next issue when we get like maybe a, a full body shot and be able to see, but uh, yeah, no, I was thinking maybe trolls age uh, more slowly. It could be, but that, I don't know. That would be kind of weird if at 50, she was still tiny. Yeah, I don't know, but I mean they're they're not us or elves, so you know. Well, that's true, but um, I I'll, well, Pickno certainly couldn't have bred an entire kingdom if the trolls took like two hundred years to grow up. <laughs> that's true, you know. And the other thing is, is that you know whether or not this is considered canon, I don't know, but I mean we did see Trinket pretty much full grown already in the um, in the Wild Hunt stories. Yeah, we did. So, which again would have happened well well before this. So. Um, at least teenaged 
she would have been. So, all right. So let's see. There's uh, there's only one other thing I want to talk about, uh, which I think is the last part of the issue that we haven't touched on yet. Um, you might have something else, but uh, go for get it. To that. So uh, this scene that we have with um, Lita and Cutter. Yeah. Okay. So so Cutter comes to Lita with Filcher, who is obviously aging. This is after the the time jump around ten years or so. Uh, he asks Lita to sort of ease the ache and filter his old bones. That's what he says. What's really interesting here is that Lita has a thought to herself where she hopes that the call reaches Cutter before he dies. Right. Uh, in other words, she's still holding out hope that he may choose to be immortal and have his uh, wolf blood removed, which was really surprising to me. I thought by this point she had fully accepted the fact that he was mortal and that, um, you know, this is the, the wolf in him is, is who he is, uh, you know, that, that there was no way that he was ever going to give it up. I thought that she had come to terms with that. So to see her thinking this, where she still is holding out even a little bit of hope for him to right. become an immortal, uh, I was uh, frankly kind of shocked. I was too, yeah. And, you know, it's one of those things where... Um, it's easy for us to have assumed that because in the scene at the end of Kings of the Broken Wheel where Cutter says, go ahead, take my wolf blood so that I never have to – that I can al- always be with you. And she realizes that that desire is a selfish one and she says, ask me later because I, I, I would be doing it for selfish reasons, not for the right reasons. Yeah. And then we've never really – it's never really been directly addressed anymore. So we, I think we've all assumed that Lita has just been like, oh, OK, I've totally got acceptance with this. But uh, but maybe not. And even if in even if she did, then, you know, I still think that she could have it could be an issue of her changing her mind, especially now that the palace is back and they've been able to spend so much more time in it and she's seeing the effects of it. And so but yeah, I was surprised, too, because I was like, oh, I thought that she was totally cool with that, but apparently not. Yeah. I don't know. I don't really have much more to add to it uh, beyond what I've said. I mean, I, I was just I was surprised, but I think you're right. I mean, maybe we we did jump to that assumption, uh, and really, it's not uh, an accurate one. Um, you know, she she may still be feeling like she obviously she is. She's still hoping that he will choose to give up his wolf blood before he dies. I don't know. Maybe he will. <laughs> which would be really yeah. like, I'm just trying to wrap my mind around that. Right. I mean, Cutter giving up his wolf blood. What would that mean? Oh, what would, I you know, I, 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 yeah, I don't I, know. <laughs> We're like stammering. We don't I, I don't even know what to say about that. I can't even, I don't, yeah. <laughs> I can't, I can't get anything out of just, yeah. <laughs> the idea of him doing that just seems so not him, the antithesis of Cutter. Right. To not be a wolf rider. All right. So there's actually one other thing that we didn't talk about. Okay. And that is, and this is really the last thing that I have to say about the issue. Right. The hilarity of the last scene with Rayek and Ekwar as they head out to go to the Forbidden Grove. And Moonshade you know, sends uh, Petalwing along to guide them back to the to the Forbidden Grove. And of course, <laughs> Petalwing is like, oh, I'm going to take good care of you. And, and Rayek says to Ekwar, Kill me now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was a nice little bit of classic Elfquest humor. Poor Petalwing, but whatever. It doesn't know that it's obnoxious, so 
know, everything's cool. A, a bit of levity in the in the midst of all the drama that had just <laughs> exactly, yeah. So, um, so yeah, that's. I think that pretty much covers everything that I wanted to talk about. Um, yeah. You know, amazing issue. It's another example of an issue where. And this is what I love about ElfQuest. It's like not every issue is about a big fight or a battle or, you know, this is another issue where the pieces are still being moved into place. And yet so much happens. I mean, so much happens. And not only plot point happens, but also art wise happens. It's incredible to me how much Wendy and Richard can fit into 20 pages. Yeah. It's just mind boggling. How much story and plot and uh, you know characterization can be can be put into twenty pages worth of story without it ever feeling uh, like overburdened or you know that absolutely it's, uh, yeah ex- extraneous or anything. It, it it doesn't feel like it's overwhelming in any way. It, it all flows and it's all you know follows a a really like a cogent plot that mm-hmm. that's really. Uh, understandable like I, I don't feel lost or anything it's just mm-hmm. amazing how they're able to do that it's just you know it, it's they're master storytellers That's yeah what they do so and again so much of it is visual i mean uh, yes. probably a good third of what we talked about is you know are things that were, are not said in words and they're not again sort of major plot developments but they're things that that like part of the story is being told through what we're seeing with our eyes through through design, through expression, through color. Um, I mean, so much of ElfQuest is being told through those things as well as through the words and the actual, you know, major plot developments. And again, it's just what makes ElfQuest awesome. Definitely. Yes. So, so awesome. Such a great. Yeah. Idea. All right. Well, I don't think we can finish on a higher note than that. So um, hope everybody enjoys the issue as much as we did. And, um, you know, we'll be promoting this podcast, um, issue or episode like we always do, uh, on all forms of social media. But if you guys would do the same, it would be great. Um, the more we share this, the more folks will, will reach with the podcast and maybe even get some new readers out of it. So we'd appreciate it if when you, um, when you give it a listen, also give it a share. Thanks for listening. All right. Bye everyone. Bye. The music that you heard at the top of the podcast was a track called Hunting for Experience by Epicus from their album An Epic Journey. You can find music by Epicus and thousands of other artists royalty-free for your podcast or multimedia projects on jamendo.com. That's J-A-M-E-N-D-O dot com. Well, that's it for this episode of the ElfQuest Show podcast. As always, you can join the discussions on ElfQuest.com, on Twitter at, at ElfQuest, or on any of several Facebook pages, including the official ElfQuest Facebook page and the ElfQuest Facebook fan page. Don't forget, you can read the entire ElfQuest back catalog at ElfQuest.com, along with tons of other great stuff like character bios, behind-the-scenes features, and more. The Final Quest is published by Dark Horse Comics, and you can get the latest issue of ElfQuest the minute it comes out at digital.darkhorse.com. Until next time, shade and sweet water. <laughs>